Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What should we be looking for at the NFL Scouting Combine? It's such an interesting event because the entire NFL world is there. You have beat writers, you have scouts, you have front offices, head coaches, you name it. They're in Indianapolis this week. And there's a lot of information that's going to come out. What matters, what doesn't, and everything in between. And we have a special guest, SB Nation's JP Acosta, to join us talking about the Underwear Olympics. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Real Forno Show, hosted by Tyler Fornis, the managing editor of USA Today's Vikings Wire, writer for the College Football Network, publisher of Substack Run In Shooter, host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Skull. In the words of the great Brent Musburger, you are looking live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornas, because we have special guest on my left, SB Nation's JP Acosta. Producer Dave has moved down into the bottom right corner instead of the top right. JP, thanks for joining us on such late notice. I'm really excited to talk about Combine with you, but I need your opinion first on... Shogun, because I know you had yourself a fun time last night. Oh, man. I got up. So I didn't know how late it was going to premiere. So Mm -hmm. I started a little late. But, man, I love it. I love it. I love the show. I love how much they go into, like, the politicking and less fighting right now, especially in the first Mm -hmm. two episodes. It's going to pick up real quick. The pacing of the second episode was phenomenal. And I'm excited, man. I've been excited about this show since I saw the trailer. And Hiroki Sonata, perfect. Perfect main character. So I'm hyped for it. Listen, the only Sonata I know has about as much charisma as a broomstick. So it might take me a little bit to get used to it. I am, I'm going to try and watch it tomorrow morning because I got I to gotta be prepared for the Underwear Olympics. But I got to cleanse my brain at least a little bit. And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited it. to check it out. You got to get in some a little bit of a palate cleanser before watching guys run and jump. Absolutely. So uh, let, let's kind of jump into it because I think this is one of the more intriguing events of the year. And it starts off with a lot of the press conferences. And the one thing I find really interesting is the press conferences almost don't tell you a lot because you get people who ask questions that like fan bases already know the answers to like Everybody asked questions, oh, about Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins from a, like a Vikings perspective. That nothing has changed with those two things pretty much since the middle of the season. So for, considering yourself, you are obviously a Jaguars fan, but you cover the NFL as a whole rather than just covering a single entity like myself. When you look at that kind of stuff, 
what do you usually take from it? How do you approach looking at these press conferences because they are such a unique enigma? So when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings, I think Kwesi Duffelman saying Kevin O'Connell being up front, being like, yeah, we're not trading Justin Jefferson. That They mm-hmm. mean that. Like it would be incredibly dumb to either go into next year thinking you can compete for the playoffs or go into next year rebuilding and trade away the best player on the team, arguably the best receiver in football. You know, I understand, you know, all oh, the assets you can get in a trade for him, but what are you going to get? You're going to get another superstar receiver to help your young quarterback that may or may not be Justin Jefferson. Like that's not a smart thing. It's not a smart process. And I think Kwesi and Kevin O'Connell have shown that they are, they have at least shown good process through the first portion of their tenure as part of the Minnesota Vikings. So I think when it comes to Justin Jefferson, when they say that, they mean it. When it comes to Kirk, I think paired with everything else that everyone has said about the quarterback situations, like Raheem Morris saying that they want someone that is right for the city of Atlanta, um, the Steelers kind of being noncommittal, but letting people know Kenny's still going to be on the roster. I feel like the best fit for everybody is for Kirk to go back to Minnesota. Of course, the financials will be at play, but when O'Connell says, yeah, we want Kirk around for as long as possible, I tend to believe him. Yeah, and the one interesting thing is that I don't think a lot of people outside of this bubble really realize they have talked about wanting Kirk back pretty much incessantly since he tore his Achilles on October 29th. It's been the worst kept secret, but the one caveat has always been Quasi Dolphin has always said we have to come to a deal. And he's always left that door open where he's, and that's why I think he's likely to leave because in March of 23, the sticking point was guaranteed money in 25. The Vikings said, no, Kirk wanted it and they weren't able to come to any kind of resolution. So they just did the restructure and decided to push it forward another year. As of right now, I don't think the Vikings are still willing to guarantee an extra money. And now you have a torn Achilles tendon in the mix, which I find incredibly interesting. And that there's a chance that the Falcons may not be involved in this process at all because of all the rumors coming out of Indianapolis, the talk about Justin Fields going there. And then you have the Steelers who say they're not going to even try and get a veteran quarterback. So this whole process is going to be so fascinating over the next two weeks, because who's going to fold? Is Kirk just going to be like, you know what? Fine. I'll just come back. Or are the Vikings who so far haven't really folded at all in this new regime going to cave to some of Kirk Cousins demands? And I I find that idea fascinating. And sort of when we talk about the long, the long term and kind of looking at the Minnesota Vikings roster from a bird's eye view, how long is this Kirk Cousins, Minnesota Vikings collar and elbow tie up going to hold up? finding deals for Daniil Hunter or DJ Wanham or Marcus Davenport. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys are all other free agents. And of course you think you'd want to have those guys around, but you can't really do that many deals while you're still waiting for the Kirk chip to fall. So mm-hmm. depending on how long that stalemate goes, I'm very intrigued to see if that affects how they build their roster outside of the quarterback. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, uh, Mock drafts are continuing to send them edge rushers and not a quarterback almost with the idea that Kirk Cousins is returning. And now 11s, you can probably go get a quarterback. I I think it's very plausible. As long as Arizona stays at four, you should be able to move up to five with the Chargers and get one of the top four, depending on how things shake out. But it's a fascinating conundrum. And if you keep Kirk, that opens up a lot of things at 11, especially that edge rusher position. Uh, Understanding the Brian Flores defense, is there a guy there that like you are really excited to kind of see at the combine that you think will translate well with what the Minnesota Vikings like to do? So knowing the Brian Flores defense, I really think Dallas Turner is a perfect fit for Minnesota at 11. If you think about what Dallas Turner was asked to do at Alabama, he is unlike Will Anderson in the point where Will Anderson played the four eye and stopped the run. And he was mm-hmm. more he was more of a hand in the dirt edge rusher. Dallas Turner is a bit leaner. He's a bit more slender. He's got a longer build. He played basketball like he played AAU basketball and is was legit good. And you see that basketball player style kind of show up. But you think about him dropping into coverage. You think about 
Dallas Turner rushing off the edge on design blitzes, being kind of a denter when it comes to loops and pressures. And you okay. think Brian Flores. You think about a guy who can be a chess piece in that defense. I also think, you know, we can't, we're going to go back to the edge rusher department, Leia Tulatu. That is a guy mm-hmm. that I love. I don't think he is going to be an elite tester at the combine. He's going to have short arms. He's a six-year senior. I don't think he's going to have the best 40 time, but I think we need to adjust the expectations for Leia Tulatu. I think you look at, for Latu, you look at that 10-yard split. You look at the short shuttle. You look at the L drill. That is where Leia Tulatu's game shows up on film. He might not be the best athlete, but he has good closing speed. He is, when he gets mm-hmm. around that edge, it's on the quarterback. And he has such a wide array of pass rush moves, hand usage, placement, where you can think, like, Brian Flores can go, oh, we don't have to send pressure a lot because we have a guy who can generate pressure by himself. And that'll open up the defense to do a lot more different things with all the versatile guys they have in coverage. Or maybe now you know you can drop Josh Metellus to be a middle runner from the line of scrimmage in Tampa too. Or you can have all the safeties on the field. So I think I look at those two edge rushers when it comes to the Brian Flores defense. I think those guys are going to potentially be very fun. Uh, take one more step back, going to the off-ball linebacker spot. I really think uh, the Michigan linebackers, Junior Colson, Michael Barrett, I don't think Colson is in play at 11, but I think mm-hmm. the second round or third round pick for Junior Colson would be really interesting. He's he's a big linebacker. I think he's going to measure in at like 6'3", 245, 247 pounds. He's yeah. long. You can see the range, and you can still see he's still trying to learn a little bit to position and playing Mike linebacker, but he's so versatile comes from that Jesse mentor defense in Michigan, where he was doing a whole lot of stuff. They had them walk down on the edge against Michigan state. When they went to their penny packages, he was playing off ball, Mike. And you just think, Oh, Brian Flores. Like that's a guy where you can see him being put in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Now you can truly get versatile up front because I think we're going to start seeing a lot more teams try and change the picture up front. You think about what Spags did with the Chiefs. You think about what Mike McDonald did with Baltimore. And it's not just changing the picture for the quarterback or for the offense in the secondary. It's, oh, we might show four on the line of scrimmage. We're going to bring a nickel and then drop the edge defender away from it. Or we're going to bring two guys down the middle from the middle linebacker spot and drop the two defensive tackles. You need guys that can wear a lot of hats. And I think Junior Colson mm-hmm. can be that. Yeah, and one of the things that's going to be really interesting is, I don't know if I've told you this, JP, I have tracked everybody that the Vikings have brought in and drafted or kept as a UDFA, all their measurables, relative athletic score and stuff, to try and figure out if there are any trends so far. And after two years, I don't think we know anything. And that that I find really fascinating because year one, it was hyper-athletes. We're going to focus on metrics. We're going to focus on 10-yard split. That was the big one. And then year two, they didn't draft any hyper athletes per relative athletic score. It was, hey, we're going to trust the film. And I think without having being able to confirm it, I think they were trusting GPS data over testing data, which is a very interesting trend. And I want to kind of shift focus this way. We have so many other elements to give us data. And I think the word analytics kind of gets a little bit of a dirty, like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a dirty word because when people think analytics, they think pro football focus. They think EPA and analytics is so much more than that. It is a collection of data to pair with film. That's the general way I like to present it. And stuff like GPS data matters because it, it tells you how fast a player is moving. And sometimes guys just aren't run, like sprinters. They are like the game speed. It's a lot different than track speed. So at, when you're evaluating, because you and I are in the same plane, we both evaluate these prospects. And how do you kind of contextualize some of the data that we get from the combine? And like, uh, what matters and what doesn't? And then with GPS, do, even though we don't have access to it, how does that factor in for you? So I actually wrote about this today for SB Nation, how to watch the combine as a smarter fan or how to get smarter about evaluating players at the combine. I think with the access that teams have to GPS tracking data and GPS scores, I think that makes the true 40, like the whole thing, 
the whole 40 yards, I make I think it makes it less relevant, especially for skill position players. Like you think of Cooper Cup. You know, that's the first guy you think of is like, oh, this guy ran what, a four six two, but his GPS is a lot faster during in-game situations. And that's where I think we kind of we kind of deviate for the combine. It's you don't necessarily need the 40 time. It's a good test of long speed, but mm-hmm. how often are you going to be running 40 yards in a straight line in a sterile environment without anybody trying to grab you? It's not very often unless you are the fastest person alive. I think what matters for the 40 is the 10 and 20 yard splits. The 10 yard splits is the explosiveness. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to come up a lot. It's the explosion. Football is a game built on bursts. It is really fast, really strong for like five to seven seconds. Because unlike basketball or unlike soccer, soccer is constantly moving. You are constantly Mm -hmm. in movement. Football, you go fast for like five seconds and then you get a little bit of break. You got to go back and get the play and then you set up again. But that next play, you have to be going at full speed. You have to hit your maximum Mm -hmm. speed. I think about it less like less like the 400-yard dash in track and more like the 50-meter dash where mm-hmm. we are you're going. You're going as soon as that bell rings. You're thinking it's like a drag race. You know, you got to get up to full speed at a, niche, at a quick time. So that's where I think evaluators have to seriously look at, okay, what's the 10-yard split? Maybe a guy is a fast finisher. He might be a slow starter where, like, he's – not running very fast in those first mm-hmm. 10 yards, but that closing speed, he can really, he can really get to those 30 to 40 yards. He can close that gap. Maybe a guy is slower in the 30 to 40, but he's fast off the line of scrimmage. That's what you're looking for for defensive linemen. Like that's really the one thing you're looking for. And then mm-hmm. the 20 yards or more of the big skill guys are like receivers. So that a lot of receivers are running in that 20 yard range. You know, you're going to run those, those digs, you're going to run the over routes. You got to be able to be explosive in that short period of time. So I think it is both a necessary tool, but it is not what you're going to build the boat out of. You're not going to mm-hmm. build your entire basis on a prospect off of, oh, he ran a fast 40. He has to be good. No, you're going to go in and go, oh, this guy ran, this receiver ran a 4-3. Does that show up on tape? If not, let me go reevaluate. Maybe I saw something wrong or maybe this guy just prepared like a madman for this one thing or a guy ran slower and you're thinking, oh, this guy is faster in game and in game speed. Maybe this is a guy that's just a, he's a gamer. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really get up for the underwear Olympics. So let me ask you this, because you mentioned the 10 and 20 yard splits. And one of the things that the old Vikings regime really hung their hat on was that flying 20. So the time between the 20 yard split and the finish of the 40 with some of these metrics. And obviously it's very positional based. How much does that number really play a factor into some of these evaluations? Cause as you mentioned, a guy like Cooper cup, that flying 20 was really good in comparison to those splits that he had. And I think it's one of the reasons why he's been so successful. How do you kind of parse some of that data out? So I think about it in terms of, like I said earlier, how does it match up with the guy on tape? So flying mm-hmm. 20, those 20, the 20 to 40 yards, may, like we said, maybe he's just a fast finisher. Maybe he mm-hmm. hits that 20 yards and he can really start to stride it out. Those you think about guys with really long legs, their first 10 yards might not be that good because, you know, they got to unwrap all that leg mm-hmm. to get out in the first 10 yards. But once they get the full stride going, they're going to fly in those 20 to 40 yards. And that's where you think, of body composition, you think of body type, and you think about how you saw it on the field. We're like, okay, maybe it takes a little bit to get up to full speed, but when he gets to full speed, he's actually fast. So you're thinking about a guy who probably going to run a lot of over routes if he's a receiver. You know, maybe you're thinking of a guy who's going to be. We got to get him running away from guys in the horizontal or vertical plane to try and get him get him at his best. Give give him a yeah. runway. And he can be like a he can be like those airplanes, you know, like they they build up speed. You know, they're not going to start off super fast, but they got a whole mm-hmm. lot of runway. So I think about it with the flying 20, especially it is a good judge of a, an athlete's finish and how they how they move their body. You know, a lot of guys, you start to get tired after those first 20 yards, how you control your body when you start to lose stamina is really where 
okay, now the rubber's meeting the road. Mm-hmm. So uh, to kind of finish off with the 40 here, everybody's going to get enamored with the 40. And I'll never forget Deion Sanders uh, hilariously talking about uh, Troy Apke, the, the white cornerback from Penn State, and just being flabbergasted that I think he ran a 4.38. Guys will run fast times like that all the time. And how do you... And one of the things that we've talked about a lot on our Skull Surge series is really breaking down prospects and talking about some of those attributes. When a guy runs a shocking time, whether it be good or bad, how do you use that to contextualize the film? Do you use that as like a, a um, an answer to a question or do you use it in a different way as a data point? So I think answer to a question is really hitting on the head there. So Say a guy runs a fast 40. He wasn't that fast on tape, but he ran a fast 40. That's where you go, oh, this guy's fast. This guy is this guy's legit. Let me go look back at the tape and see maybe where I missed out. Maybe there were games where, you know, he like pulled a hamstring or something and he just wasn't moving that fast. Or maybe it's he's kind of coasting, you know, where he's he doesn't look fast. That's just because he's not really moving fast in the game. But you know, these guys get what? Some guys' seasons end in November, December. It, we're in March. They got they got months to prepare for this one drill. They got months to prepare and get as fast as possible. So we kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. But when it's a guy where like, oh, this guy is slower but ran a fast 40. It's like, okay, maybe we got to go back and see, oh, maybe he's actually fast. But if the guy is fast on tape runs a slow 40, you're thinking, okay, maybe it's level of competition or maybe it's, maybe he's getting, he's a game speed guy, you know? But I think it's, like I said, it's a tool in the toolbox, but not the entire foundation. It is, it's the oars of the boat, you know, but it's not the entire boat. Uh, I just want to let everybody know in the comments, if you have any questions for us specifically about the combine, please drop them in there and let us know what kind of answer them. Cause we're going to go through a lot more things, but I do first uh, want to take a moment to talk about our sponsors, our friends at underdog rescue, Minnesota. And as uh, some of you have heard, we were looking at a dog. We have decided we are going to adopt him and we're going to get him at some point next week. So not only are we helping out our friends, we are living the message, go rescue a dog, adopt foster. And if you can't donate and help save the dogs, underdog rescue, MN.com. And don't worry, you'll get plenty of dog pictures as I smell Odie's farts right next to me. Oh, P.U. That dog doesn't need anything but kibble, and he, f- and he stinks up rooms like nobody's business. It's incredible. Uh, <laughs> UnderdogRescueMN.com, everyone. Um, JP, I want to talk about explosiveness because everybody wants explosive athletes. Athleticism rules the world. And if you're a great athlete and then you can develop that technique, that's the ultimate package. You want to be able to have both. But sometimes... A great technician just isn't good enough. I think about a guy like Josie Jewell, really technically sound, but just is not a good enough athlete to be able to play all three downs and really thrive in coverage. But he's good on first and second down like that. Like that's where the athleticism really comes into play. So I want to talk about some of these explosive metrics, like the vertical and the broad jump. Like how do these metrics really translate to that explosive athleticism that we see in the National Football League? And why should everybody pay attention to that? So I want you guys to think about how the movements are generated for a vertical and broad jump. You are generating power from the ground up through your body to get as high as possible with the vertical jump or get as far as possible with the uh, broad jump. I think the broad jump is a really, really good indicator of explosiveness and just how a player is going to how high a player's athletic ceiling is when you think about the movements of a broad jump uh i actually looked this up for the story it's a a research done 2007 you involve more the hips you involve the hip flexors Mm -hmm. and that activates the hips the glutes the hamstrings and think about guys who are great tacklers. Think about how you're supposed to tackle. Textbook tackling is you want to fire through the hips, and that generates all the explosion. Shakira was right when she said hips don't lie. The hips will not lie. If you are explosive through the hips, you can generate more force because you're propelling your body forward. Think about 
we talk about stacking and shedding a lot for a defensive lineman, especially in the run game. That's what that's what a broad jump is. You have to get out of that three point stance or out of that two point stance and you're firing through the hips and trying to extend. But then that's where the bench press comes into uh, comes into play. The bench press isn't necessarily the greatest metric for pure strength. It's cool to see strong guys do strong stuff. But when you're talking about an overall blend of athleticism that you're going to see on the football field, the bench press is more of the that's the that's the stack part. You're going to get them out because think about the push, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a pushing movement. So in creating that contact, you need those hips, those flexible, powerful hips, and that will be able to generate explosiveness. So I really look at the broad jump, the vertical jump. It is, it is basically just track and field. That is, those are the movements. It's the movement Mm -hmm. styles, it's movement skills. And being able to create explosion through the hips, through the lower body. It's, it's I'm going to use an example for multiple things when we talk about uh, receivers, especially. But DK Metcalf didn't run mm-hmm. a good short shuttle three cone. It was horrendous. It was terribly bad. I think Mock Draftable has him in the third and fourth percentile for the short shuttle and the L drill. Not good. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the best at vertical jumps and broad jumps. And think about what DK Metcalf does best. He is good at explosion, explosion down the field vertically, explosion across the field horizontally, and explosion up into the air to go get the ball. That's where you see those things come into play for receivers. But that explosion is really what's going to hold a lot of weight in the NFL. Because like we said, you're not going to be running for a long time. You have to be able to generate that force and that power in an instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a really good example. And DK might be the biggest outlier in terms of some of those successes because he's just so good. And that that's one of the other things I want to talk about with this combine. You can see guys, oh, they just stink in this one metric. They're not going to be good. And you hear people talk about all the time. Oh, short arms. He needs to move to guard. And Rashawn Slater was kind of a great example of it over the last couple of years. I really thought he would be best at center because of how explosive some of his movement skills were. And I thought, especially in a wide zone scheme, you could take advantage of that movement and he could drive guys off the ball. Yeah, he's just one of the better left tackles in the national football league now. And that ended up not mattering. So when you take a look at some of these evaluations and we've had a lot of conversations on this show talking about, Oh, like this metric, he he may limit his effectiveness at the next level because of this, that, and the other thing. Do you have anything for you? That's like, like kind of takes them off of your board, so to speak, or eliminates them from being qualifying at a certain level. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds. And I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters, May 17th, Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I think it just depends on what you want in a player. I think at a baseline level, I think the explo- the jumps are very important. I think you have mm-hmm. to be able to generate that explosion in a blend, in a quick period of time. You are one fluid motion going out or going up. I think that is very important. That's where I start my baseline of if you, through the pro day and combine, if you just are not explosive in the jumps, a pretty good indicator of, hey, maybe this guy isn't that explosive in generating force in the NFL. That doesn't mean they're going to be a bad player. That just means they're not going to generate that kind of explosiveness in the NFL. Maybe some guys mm-hmm. win in ways, you know. Maybe the guy isn't as explosive. I don't think Lea Tulatu is going to be a super, like, super-duper jumper, you know. Yeah. He's not going to blow guys out the water in those testing skills, but I think his game is more predicated on the hand usage, the things that you will see on tape. You'll see it on film. Oh, that guy can play in the NFL because he can do the hand techniques, the movements, and the body control. I think the body control is where it gets me next to 
you know, the shuttles and the three cone drills. That's really what you're looking for. The body control and the agility to get get around in confined mm-hmm. spaces. You think about offensive linemen. I think Josh Norris tweeted out the other uh, last year of, I believe, the top 24 uh, or top 34 player offensive linemen who had a short shuttle of, I believe, under like 4.7 seconds. 24 of them were drafted and all the drafted ones had long careers in the NFL. That's kind of the it's kind of the thing. You want to be able to move in space. You want to be able to change direction because think about mm-hmm. when offensive linemen does. You know, they are change of direction. You think about corners. I think uh, Brandon Thorne made this point in the offseason, this uh, past season, that I really have started to think about a lot. It is wide receivers and defensive linemen are kind of the same in how they attack the game. And then we invert that to offensive linemen and corner. Think about mm-hmm. the battles offensive line and wide receiver and defensive line and offensive line. And they are trying to do the same things. They are moving in the same ways. Corner and offensive linemen are both more reactionary. They are more, you got to change direction to get to, to, to win. You know, we think about Rashawn Slater. He doesn't have long arms. That should have disqualified him for being a phenomenal left mm-hmm. tackle. His ability to move in space, his ability to change direction and redirect and an anchor, and of course, the technique that placed him along with it. That's kind of the same for corners. You know, maybe a corner doesn't have the longest arms, but if their ability to redirect and mirror is the same as an elite offensive lineman, you can win with that. And then we flip it to wide receiver defensive line. I've said for the same for a long time, uh, Justin Jefferson and Von Miller move the exact same way in terms of their abilities to create space without ever really looking like they're moving very fast. It looks like they're just kind of gliding across the field. They don't really change. It doesn't look like, oh, I'm going to change direction now. You will see me speed up. They're all moving in one fluid motion and their ability to drop their hips, their ability to the ankle flexibility. I've said a lot. Uh, Von Miller is like a figure skater, man. His ability to bend, his ability to get through the ground. Miles Garrett does it phenomenally at 275 pounds. Justin Jefferson does the same thing in his ability to get open using the change of direction, the ability to sink hips and use the ankle flexibility. It's all there. So I think the agility drills is start to where that's where you're starting to stack on top. So the jumps for explosion, Mm -hmm. the agility for body control and change of direction. And then we can get into like the true long speed stuff. Like, okay, now we can see, okay, this guy's fast. So that, that'll work. Like if a guy looks fast on tape, nine times out of 10, he's probably going to be fast in underwear, you know? So yeah, I think that's where I start to build. You start the jumps, you go agilities, and then you go long speed. No, I, I, I agree completely. And, and the last thing we really need to talk about as far as the testing is probably the most important drill of them all. The bench press, bench pressing <laughs> 225 pounds as much as you possibly can. I, uh, can you take anything from this other than, hey, I can lift more weight than you? Like the whole macho thing that you would do with your buddies when you're like 13 years old. So the really the only thing that you can possibly get from the bench press is the extension portion. We talked about stacking and shedding with defensive linemen mm-hmm. and offensive linemen. That stacking portion, that is a push movement. You think about it, what a bench press is as a push movement. However, mm-hmm. where the bench falls apart is that is a predominantly upper body dominated movement you're not in, you're <laughs> not involved with the lower body the hips a lot i said in my piece today i think a better metric to gym, to evaluate pure force and strength would be a power clean because you're involving the entire body that the hip mm-hmm. movement that is how you generate force you think about when you watch like teach tapes or practice clinics and you think about their abilities and tackling and defend defeating blocks. It is, you want to extend through the hips, you know, you want to use that as the hub for generating power. And that power is going to extend through the upper body. It's a full body movement. Bench press is an upper body movement. It's taking out the entire lower body portion. And then we think about guys who all, who traditionally do phenomenal at bench press. They all have short arms. Think yeah. about Longer arm guys, as a guy with longer arms, bench press is tough because there's a longer way to go down. 
Like you think about a true like bench press. Yeah, I can get it up. We can go up to the top. But then coming back down, that's a long way down. That's a lot of stress on the muscle. They might not be as good. Maybe the guy is strong. He is strong in the game. But the bench press isn't going to look good because he has a lot longer arms. Guys with shorter arms can dominate the bench press because they don't have to go very far. you know. And then I think a few years back, not even a few years back, maybe in 2022, Sean Payton was actively on Twitter and said, yeah, Shorter arms equals better bench press. Longer arms is what mm-hmm. people look for athletically. You know, you think about defensive linemen. We look for longer arms. Trent Balky, to mention the Jaguars, loves long arms. Those guys aren't going to do great in the bench press because they all have long arms. They'll probably be strong. But mm-hmm. we look at the bench press, we can say, oh, this is cool. Strong guy doing strong things. We can applaud it. We can maybe say, oh, this guy looks like he can extend very well. But mm-hmm. We shouldn't really take too much from it other than, oh, yeah, looks cool. Yeah, it does look cool. Um, I'll never forget. I think it was uh, Damian Pierce. uh, I think he yelled an obscenity at a coach when he just wanted to get one more rep in. And then Shaquem Griffin with his one handed, I think, 19 reps. There are some cool moments, but you also see guys tear their packs. So it's it's an archaic drill. We'll have some fun with it. Uh, Let's talk about a few guys that you really want to watch at the combine JP. Uh, there was a question earlier about Brock Bowers. And I think there are some real questions about how athletic and how fast he is. And I, this is one of those instances where I want the metrics to try and help me quantify the tape. Cause I just don't know how good of an athlete this is. And I, I need some help trying to answer that question. Cause I, I genuinely am not sure. Uh, let's talk about him. And then a couple other guys that you're really intrigued to see in that same realm, like guys you want to see because you're not a hundred percent sure what they are yet. So I think with Brock Bowers, we're going to look at the GPS tracking and the GPS numbers. I'll probably come out after he's drafted and be like, Oh, this guy is moving. I think when I watch Brock Bowers somehow on tape, he plays a lot faster and plays a lot stronger than he actually looks. It's like, when uh, <laughs> I hate to use this reference, he hulks up literally during games. Like he just he plays bigger and stronger than what I believe is a very generous six four two forty. I think we're I think we're gonna get to the combine. He'll probably be like six three, may, maybe two forty, m- maybe. But I think for him, I think I want to see that short yardage explosiveness. When you think about the top tight ends in the NFL. They're not necessarily burners. I mean, Evan Ingram ran a 4-4, but he was basically a receiver coming out of Ole Miss. But a lot of a lot of those guys, while they aren't necessarily like bums in the 40 or in that 10-yard split, but they're explosive. They can move within those 10 to 15-yard areas. That's where you think of tight ends dominating in the NFL. You think of the intermediate 10 to 15 yards. You know, like that's that's where you want to see Brock Bowers excel. I think Bowers is going to do fine at the combine, but I also don't think we should take the combine numbers and go, oh, he's not that great of a prospect because he ran a four, five, six. Like, no, I don't think we should do that. I think we should go, oh, this guy ran a four, five, six, but look at the game tape. Like he's got he runs a lot faster. On tape, he is running past SEC defensive backs. That is probably the highest of the high you can go before getting to the NFL. So I think with Bowers, it's more just about confirming the explosiveness and change of direction. I kind of agree with you on on the Bowers thing. It does look like he's a little bit more athletic, but I just don't know how athletic because you see him thrive in space. And I think some of him beating defenders is he takes really good angles but how many of those angles are going to be shut down by guys in the NFL who are going to be able to close those a lot quicker. And I think that's, that's where my mind needs to get to. And I I want to see a little bit more. And I think you're right. I think the GPS data that unfortunately we don't have is going to tell us a lot. We're a couple other guys that you're interested in seeing uh, because I know I'm really interested to see how, how well like guys like Dallas Turner and chop Robinson test because they, they're projected to be like just these freakazoid athletes. And like, are there a couple of those guys that you're just like, I can't wait? So this one is a little bit of a draft crush for me. And uh, 
I think you know who I'm about to talk about. Um, Austin Booker from Kansas. Redshirt sophomore. Oh. He is listed at – he's probably going to be listed at about like 6'4", 245 maybe. Um, I'm I'm super high on him. He, he's played mm-hmm. less than 600 snaps in his career, but the hand usage and the speed, you can't make that up. You can't – oh, yeah. he played a lot. He didn't play a lot, but in those snaps – I can really say, like, that guy can be a dude. I want to see how explosive and how fast he is. Mm-hmm. Dane Brugler from Athletic said he plant that he talked to uh, Booker and he says that he's going to try and run a 4 5 5. And I would absolutely love that. I'll take mm-hmm. that for the brand. I think that explosiveness is going to really be seen when we get to that, in, that combine, that testing level. I think he's going to absolutely blow it out the water. Um, of course, I'm going to have a little bit of a trend here. I'm a defensive guy. I want to see Byron Murphy and Johnny Newton both perform. They are both oh, kind of they're both kind of of the same ilk, the same body type. They're both a little undersized. I think Byron Murphy's probably going to come in at about 305 maybe and Johnny Newton's probably going to be around 295, but both win off of explosion and off that burst and hand, violent hand usage. I want to mm-hmm. see how of they are in the hips you know that's where the broad jump the 10 yard splits the change of direction i want to see that i don't think they are aaron mm-hmm. donald I have to stop calling them aaron donald because no player <laughs> is ever going to be aaron donald yep but i think the movement skills i think i would love to see how they move and then the last guy um <laughs> i'm gonna crop them all together because i kind of cropped them all together in my big board and it's that second tier of wide receivers after Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze. That's Keon Coleman, Brian Thomas Jr., A.D. Mitchell. I'm very intrigued by what Coleman runs because I don't think Keon Coleman is a change of direction master, but he is mm-hmm. really fast in a straight line. I think he is going to be the D.K. Metcalf litmus test. I've compared him okay. – uh, Play not career wise, but playing style wise, I've always said he's very Demarius Thomas ish in terms of you get Demarius Thomas running one way fast, and he's going to run past a lot of guys. You think about the Tebow touchdown; he's running past a lot of guys on a slant, and he's moving real quick. Um, Ad Mitchell, I want to see how quickly he can get to that second gear because at Texas it just seemed like he was kind of kind of gliding, which is a good thing. Like he just glides along mm-hmm. the field, but know if he can reach that second gear that flying 20 is going to be important for him because i want to see him accelerate i think yeah he i think he's such a long athlete such a long receiver that's probably going to take him a long time to kind of get started but i want to see that acceleration that second gear i think brian thomas is probably going to destroy the uh the running portion so the mm-hmm. the 10 yard split the 20 yard split the 40 I would like to see his change of direction as well because you think about all those guys and the route running is kind of vibey. It's kind of based on vibe rather than precision. But with Brian Thomas Jr., with Keon Coleman, with A.D. Mitchell, you put those guys on the outside and you just let them run. So I want to see how they change direction. I want to see if they can, if they have the foot quickness to round out into a very good all-around receiver. But that doesn't mean it's going to be the end-all, be-all. See DK Metcalf. If you're really good at two or three things, you can make a really long career out of that. You can make a lot of money off of that. Another guy, mm-hmm. George Pitts, doesn't necessarily have the change of direction, you know. but he's good running three routes, the, the stop route, the fade route, and the slant route. And all those require minimal turning. And that's where yep. you think of. You think of Coleman, you think of Brian Thomas, you think of potentially A.D. Mitchell, and I think that's the guys that I want to see do the testing portion. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by those guys. One thing about uh, Thomas, and then we're going to start to kind of uh, wrap up the show here. I noticed on his film that, I mean, obviously he's 6'4", 205. It almost felt like he was running at 50 per spence speed half the time and then like three or four plays a game he would look like Usain Bolt how do you kind of contextualize some of that because I don't necessarily think it's an effort thing I think it's some of how LSU ran their offense and I think it some of it is 
just he knows he's not getting the ball. And when you like, there's some of that with wide receivers, and that's just kind of something you have to live with. Randy Moss was that way, and Randy Moss is arguably the best offensive weapon ever. So watching Thomas, did you get a sense of that? And how are you contextualizing it? So I think he does kind of coast a little bit, but I think that's because he's such a bigger guy that big guys, you can tell they're moving fast, but you don't know how fast because of their longer legs. Like it just mm-hmm. looks like they're moving as fast when probably they run like four fours, you know, Yeah. with Brian Thomas Jr. I think part of it, like you hit on the head is the offense. Got a lot of F-off routes. I call the F-off routes. You're on the backside of a three-by-one. It doesn't matter what you run back there, man. You're not getting the ball. They're not looking at you. So just yeah. F-off. So you kind of jog it with a lot of the air raid and a lot of the deep choice, vertical choice routes. Everybody to the other side of the field is not getting that ball thrown to them. So they yeah. don't have to run the route. It was the whole thing with, oh, we can go back to like Corey Coleman and go, oh, this guy ran fast on the two routes that he was asked to run in that offense. If it was going the other way, they would just stand and watch. It was like they were one of us in the stands. So I think we have to take that in account with the offense. I think we're going to do that a lot for receivers because everybody's running that air raid, that deep choice offense, where if you're not getting the ball thrown to one side, just don't. It it doesn't matter. But you can't really do that in the NFL with – the full field reads you have to be on go all the time so i think with thomas it's a mix of the offense and just he's gonna he's gonna look kind of he's he's not gonna look as fast as a guy like malik neighbors because yeah he's bigger he's like four inches bigger Mm -hmm. yeah that that size does does make a little bit of a difference i'm really fascinated to see what all these guys run Anything else you're keeping an eye on for at the combine? Obviously, we know that there's going to be a ton of rumors coming out and teams are going to meet with probably a hundred different players over the course of the next week. But there's really not a whole lot we can gather from that until somebody tells us, hey, this happened. Is there anything kind of you're watching out from like a broad scope? I'm potentially looking out for some of the tag and trade candidates. Some of the guys are going to get tagged. Uh, The Jerry Sneed just... Uh, just got the tag today and was told he can seek a trade. You think about a guy like Brian Burns, that could potentially be a tag and trade option. You think about Josh Allen from the Jaguars, potentially being a tag guy. I want to see what deals get done potentially at the combine. So that's the one thing that I'm excited to look for. And then when it comes to the on field and some of the testing, I'm excited to see which running back separates themselves. I think this running back class, it does not have the, same star power as, you know, a few years back. But there are some good mm-hmm. backs in this class that are probably going to need to start separating themselves to be the first guy picked on day two. You think about guys like Audrey Estime, who's getting a lot of he's getting a lot of burn recently. Uh, Trey Benson going to be phenomenal. Uh, Braylon Allen is going to blow up the combine testing numbers. 6'2", 245 pounds. He's another one where if you compare him to other smaller running backs, it doesn't look like he's moving fast, but then he's running past defensive backs and you're like, oh, like this, this guy's moving a little bit, you know? So I'm curious to see which running back truly separates himself in a class that doesn't have a true top dog number one guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this running back class is going to be fascinated and I'm really excited to kind of get my eyes on more of them. I think I've only scored three or four running backs so far and Allen was one of them and I'll be honest I didn't like him very much but we'll we'll find out JP you're my man I really appreciate you jumping on here and having a really good conversation one of the cool things about about the audience is they absolutely love learning about ball and they they love hearing some of this stuff because and I think you as well do a really good job kind of relating it and not talking about it like a hyper nerd but it's <laughs> it's easy to understand. We greatly appreciate that. Where can the people find you and your awesome and really, really fun work? So, of course, like Tyler said at the jump, you can find me at SB Nation covering all things football. Wherever there is football being played, I'm probably tweeting about it or I'm probably on threads talking about it. On threads at JP Acosta 32 on Twitter at Acosta 32 underscore JP. I'll be doing some combine stuff. I'll be looking at watching the combine the entire day or the entire period of the combine. And then I'll have some, have some reactions each day, maybe have some big takeaways at the end of the combine and 
just follow along for the draft coverage because we're we're getting to that time. We're winding down a little bit. It feels like it's coming up soon, but at the same time, it's like it's February. You know, we got a little bit more time. Yeah, we do. And if the people you guys don't know, you can catch JP and I on our other podcast. Sorry, no podcast today where we just uh, BS about football, college and pro, and we make fun of Kevin. That's right. That's what we all love. <laughs> That's what we're here for. It, it is what we're here for. Dave, what do you have I for JBP? <laughs> what was that? I, I was asking you, oh, what do you have for JB before we head out? Because I know he loves the big round bellies. Oh, I, I gather. And uh, and uh, I greatly appreciate it. And talking about strength through their hips, that was just music to my ears. Love it. Uh, I grew up from that background, JP, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you coming on. It's great to talk the combine and where to look and how some positions are different than others. Some are flashier, some are not. What to look for. And I appreciate it, especially when it came the long arm, short arms. Hey, you got that right when it comes to benching 225 pounds and how that differs from actually playing football. But yeah, hey, you're welcome anytime, buddy. Anytime. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I um, in undergrad, I took a, a strength training course when I was just trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to do in undergrad. And I was like, oh, I figured I can kind of use this to write and I can use my football experience. Like, oh, I know I know how these movement skills work now. So I guess I I had to put it to use one of these days. I hope my strength training coach or strength training uh, professor is watching. If he is, thank you. (laughs) There we go uh, at the glorious Florida Atlantic University. Everybody, thank you very much for watching. We will be live after every single combine workout this weekend and we'll be finishing it off with a a combine focused episode of two old bloggers on Sunday afternoon, which is going to be right after the final position groups, Dave's round bellies and the specialists. So don't forget to make sure you like subscribe. And if you hit that ring the bell, you're going to know every time we go live and we're going to have a lot of fun stuff. And that doesn't even include any breaking news that happens. So for JP for Dave, I'm Tyler. One thing we always say before we go skull Vikings, baby. Skull Vikings. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community that we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone! This has been a Vikings First and Skull production, part of the Fans First Sports Network.